we are wasting the energy equivalent of two thirds of Europe's annual electricity consumption by just burning a flame. Um, and that's still gonna, we're not gonna be off oil in 20 years. It's not, I mean, let's be realistic. Welcome back to the Clean Techies podcast, where we interview climate tech founders and VCs to discuss all things building and investing to solve the biggest challenge of our generation, climate change. Today, we're speaking with Andreas Lehner, the co-founder of PowerBlocks, a company developing methane capture projects where they are using existing technology to turn flared methane into energy. That energy is used to power data centers or Bitcoin mining. This extra revenue stream creates an incentive to abate the methane emissions, which are roughly 80 times more negative for the atmosphere than carbon. And in, in this conversation, we covered how to build an MVP with a hardware climate solution, how to win a pilot project, finding advisors from the industry that you are targeting. We discussed whether or not AI should be allowed to touch the energy grid. And then we also talked at the end about how he stays focused on one project. Overall, really, really fun episode with Andreas so we hope you enjoy the show. All right. Welcome to the show. How's it going today? Good. Thanks for having me, Silas. Happy to be here. Yeah, glad to, glad to have you calling in um, from Europe. Um, obviously, you do these shows on Saturdays for people who at the time zones don't line up for my evening time. So really excited to have you on. I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. Let's just start with kind of a quick background on yourself and kind of what you're doing today. Sure. I mean, I'm originally from Austria. I've been quite interested in sustainability for quite a while now, 15 years. Um, lived 10 years in Sweden and currently living in Spain in Barcelona. So I've been around a little bit. Um, my background is a lot in the energy space. I studied sustainable energy. I worked in solar energy myself before. Um, I had my first startup the last eight, nine years, focusing on investing in solar energy in emerging markets mainly in Sub-Saharan Africa. And a bit of a year ago, over a year ago, I started to go back to the drawing board and start another business idea, which I'm sure we're gonna we're gonna dive into a little bit more. Yeah, certainly. And I guess what I'd like to do at the beginning here is just could we get an explanation of what you're working on today in a very, very simple way, uh, you know, as if you were explaining it to to your grandma or something like that. Sure. I mean, what we're looking at is emissions that are being wasted uh, in places where there's no value of the energy content of these emissions. And we're coming in and actually taking these emissions, turning them into electricity, and then monetizing them via data centers that are connected to the cloud via a satellite link. So we're basically making money out of something that wasn't valuable before. And, and what that is, that emission is methane emissions, or I think in the US it's methane. I'm always getting a bit confused with the pronunciation of that. Um, and, and it has a huge climate impact by just burning it. But it's not being done because it's not valuable on those places. So we're burning it and we're making money out of it, therefore enabling the actual abatement of the methane emissions on these sites. Mm -hmm. and, and methane, I mean, obviously, for if most people listening probably know this, but just for people aware, methane is significantly worse than just standard carbon emissions. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, methane has been overlooked a little bit because we always talk about CO2 and carbon emissions, um, and that's been the main focus. And, and it's been a very good focus because it is the major source of emissions. But a third of greenhouse gases comes from methane sources. Um, and methane is so potent because it has a different chemical structure. So depending on your time horizon, it can be up to 80 times more potent in capturing heat versus CO2. Um, so that's one thing. It's, it's a lot more potent. It is less amount of time in the atmosphere. Um, so that's the advantage against CO2. But our, we're running out of time. So our time preference is getting smaller and smaller. Therefore, if you look at a 10 year horizon, anything that we can do in 10 years is going to be valuable. And on the 20 year horizon, methane is 80 times worse than CO2. Um, the other thing is that it's been increasing the most out of all greenhouse gases in the last decades, partially because we haven't really targeted it. Um, mm. So we have, we have a problem where it's actually increasing multiples over CO2 emissions, for example. Um, and 
it's we, it's very easy to abate. I mean, we just burn it in a gas turbine, right? It's not very difficult technology. Hey there. Quick break to remind any founders or VCs listening, if you are looking for deal flow, seeking to raise funding, looking for partners to help service your needs, or perhaps you're looking for corporate investment partners, feel free to reach out to us through our Slack channel, which can be found in the description. Because we meet a lot of people in this space, we set aside time each week to make introductions to the various people that we encounter. This is something we do free of charge in order to help these incredible companies solving climate change to scale. Looking forward to hearing from you in the Slack channel. Yeah. Okay, cool. And I'm sure we'll get into that in a bit more. But um, I, I am also curious in the beginning kind of things, how have you, you, you talked a little bit at, at the at the start, have you always been interested in climate or, or what specifically got you interested to, to pursue this, this space and be involved in it? Yeah, I mean, um, I actually got exposed to your own Al Gore uh, and his first documentary ages ago. That was when I was still in high school and I watched his first documentary as part of a high school assignment. Um, I think we had to summarize videos and I picked that documentary just randomly. I didn't even have a reason to pick it. Um, And when I watched it the first time, I'm sitting in the living room with my dad and and watching it on the projector, I was really shocked. And especially because nobody really talked about it, um, at least at that time and not in my hometown, which is like a 10,000 people town in, in Austria. Um, and somehow I watched it another time with my dad and I was like, I want to do something in this area. That was when I was 16, 17. Um, and that, that's how I got into the climate change area. It's, it's a very broad subject. So I didn't really know what to do, but I was like, I want to do something against, um, this craziness that is happening all around us. Apparently nobody's looking at it. And then I studied a lot of different things in that direction, sustainable energy systems, um, energy transport environmental management i worked with a energy utility in norway uh, moving them into solar and and basically got exposed to a lot of different angles of that sustainability space and over taking a lot of loops and hoops i figured out i want to work on the energy part because everything we do uh initially i was interested in electric mobility but everything we do depends on the energy mix that we're doing it on therefore that's kind of the underlying baseline of everything so, so you basically from a very early age decided that you were going to be involved and it sounds like you, you were essentially involved in this from very early stages. Was there any at that time, you know, was it difficult to find ways to be involved in the space? You know, did you have other mentors that you learned from and how did you go about that in your early career days? I mean, it was difficult to find an angle um, where you say, okay, this is the part that I want to work on because again, sustainability and climate change is a very broad subject right um i i wouldn't say there has been particular mentors in in the function of a traditional mentor but there's been people along the way that just nudged me with little things into the right directions like friends of mine that were like oh you should probably i had to decide between engineering and 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 management and a friend of mine was like you should study engineering because the management stuff you learn when you need it like <laughs> business schools you don't need to do this now you you that's if you understand the engineering part, the business stuff comes with, with experience. Um, so that was definitely a moment. And then obviously some some professors at university um, and people that, that showed me that entrepreneurship is a viable route because that's the second piece of the puzzle, right? Working in climate change was the initial thing, but actually doing my own startup or work in, in, in the role of an entrepreneur wasn't very clear. But also working as an intern at a startup at some point uh, exposed me to that. And a friend of mine that I worked with in Norway, um, his brother worked with solar in Western Africa. So that was kind of inspiring as well. So it was more indirectly through people that I met. And then also like reading a lot of books and having my mentors probably more in the types of people that I listen to and the types of books that I read more than a person in my life, which it's still something I would like to reach at some point, like a person that you can have these conversations with because it's a more one directional relationship when you, when you read your stuff in books. Um, but it's been more, more that so far in my life. Hey there, are you building a climate tech business and looking for very specialized talent? Consider reaching out to our sponsors, Next Wave Partners. Next Wave are experts in talent acquisition, recruitment, and retention across the climate tech, renewables, and ESG spaces globally. So if your team is growing or you're looking to make a career change yourself, feel free to reach out to Next Wave at next-wavepartners.com or reach out to one of their consultants directly via their LinkedIn page. Yeah, you know, I think it's really fascinating. We'll talk maybe a little bit about AI today, but, you know, there's a lot of discussion about AI right now. 
everywhere you turn. And it just, to me, is interesting to see that there's still that human aspect. Like you were inspired by, by Al Gore's work uh, to kind of like get that, that initial interest. And then you had these people who maybe just, maybe wasn't in-depth mentoring, but they gave you some pointers here and there, which really shapes, shapes our lives. Right. And I think that this human aspect is really interesting in everybody's story to see how they, how they develop, who really makes an impact. Cause you know, we all have these people who it could just be, it could just be in passing or some stranger you meet, but there can be a really big impact. Uh, on the way that your life changes because of because of what they say right so mm-hmm. it's really interesting i appreciate that um going back to to the technology where where can we where can you use this technology you, you talked about methane and how there's a lot of increasing uh, methane emissions where are these locations found so most of what we are targeting um, are concentrated emissions. So it's not, for instance, the rice field that emits methane. It was very hard to capture that. It's places like landfills where they capture the methane already. It's oil and gas sites that are flaring methane as, as it comes as a byproduct of their oil extraction, for example. Um, it's anaerobic digesters on farms that take the manure and take, make it into fertilizer and a byproduct of that is methane as well. Those are kind of, those three areas are the key three areas where we would see an application of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. And so are those, you mentioned a number of different technologies that are kind of having a byproduct. Are those locations or projects uh, increasing in number? Or I mean, I, I don't know how it is in, in Europe, and I know that some of these things are probably tightly uh, regulated in the US, I'm, I'm not sure. Is this something that's growing a lot? So it depends on the sector, right? Landfills in, in Europe have been targeted for quite a while. It's still a problem, especially in Western Europe, uh, in Spain. That's why I'm in Spain to some extent. And in Eastern Europe, um, those are kind of places where you still have a lot of landfilling going on. The EU has a directive that we should landfill as little as possible, but we will still have landfills, even if we stop tomorrow those landfills emit methane over a 15 to 20 year mm-hmm. time horizon. So they will still emit methane in a, in a time horizon that is relevant for our goals of fixing, fixing the climate and the greenhouse gases. Um, oil and gas flaring, I mean, for sure at some point, hopefully we'll have not as much oil production as we have today because we need to stop doing that. Um, but it's still there and we are wasting the energy equivalent of two thirds of Europe's annual electricity consumption. By just burning a flame um and that's still gonna we're not gonna be off oil in 20 years it's not i mean let's be realistic um and then anaerobic digesters is probably the one source that's gonna be the uh the longest if you if you compare it on that um and that might also increase because if we find technologies that enable the anaerobic digestion to make sense then like through monetization like what we're doing then we could do this on more farms than we do it today instead of emitting the methane and venting it into the air from the manure. So, so yeah, it's, it's not skyrocketing, but we need to cut it. That's the, mm-hmm. like, uh, I mean, that's interesting. I want to, I think, go back on that point. You mentioned that if you, if I said, if I heard this correctly, you said there's two thirds of the equivalent of Europe's energy consumption is wasted just by being not captured. In only oil and gas. flowering. Wow. That's uh, that's pretty crazy. Um, so definitely an opportunity there. In, in terms of the monetization, you mentioned this is you know you can take this and actually make it valuable. So can you walk us through that process? How does this work in a little bit more detail? Break down the different components and um, and how, how who makes the money? How does it work, etc. Sure. I mean, so so we start with a methane source. Let's let's say a landfill, right? Landfills emit methane for fifteen years minimum, actually up to forty years, but it declines over time. So you have infrastructure on the landfill that captures the gas from the garbage in in pipes. Uh, Methane goes the easiest way, like most gases. So when there is a a pipe that is freed, it just goes in there and you you pump it out of the landfill. So then you have a methane gas, which is a bit dirty. It's not the cleanest gas. So you need a bit of a cleaning step. So you clean certain gases out that are part of the landfill because there's a lot of things in landfills. And you cannot burn all of these gases in a gas turbine because they might destroy your gas turbine. So the second stage is a cleaning a gas preparation kind of stage. And then you compress it and you run it for gas turbine. So, so far, it's pretty straightforward. And a lot of this has done been done in Europe. 
so landfill gas to electricity projects, you run a gas turbine, which basically runs on natural gas. I mean, methane from landfills is basically the same as natural gas. It's just less pure. And you burn the methane to 99.99%. Uh, you produce CO2 in the process, which is a greenhouse gas. It's much less potent. And at a certain scale, you could capture it if you want to. Um, but basically, you have a gas turbine that produces electricity. The standard so far has been that electricity then gets fed into the grid and you make money doing that. And a lot of countries like U U uh, UK, Germany, Austria have been quite good in Europe doing that. Um, but you cannot do that when you are too far away from the grid um, or your, your size doesn't justify the investment in a big enough infrastructure or you have other problems like in Spain, um, you don't get permits for more than five years to operate a landfill, so you don't know if you're going to be there in five years, so you don't want to invest in the infrastructure that needs 15 years to be there to be paid off, like a, a grid connection. Um, so then you have the problem that that electricity wouldn't be used. So you don't do all of this, what I just said, because you, you're never going to get your investment back because nobody wants to buy your electricity. Um, and that's where we come in. So then basically what we do is we plug in a 40-foot container next to the gas turbine, uh, plug it directly into the gas turbine uh, or the electricity outlet of the gas turbine and run a data center with that electricity. Why a data center? Well, because it's completely location independent because we can run it on a satellite internet connection like Starlink. So we don't need all of that external infrastructure piece um, it's movable, so if you lose your permit in five years, we move it to the next site and you do the same there, no problem. Uh, most sites in Europe are flaring already, so the, the capturing infrastructure is already there, so nothing to worry about investing into that one on, on the next site. And then, we, like I said, we run a data center. What's the specialness about the data center? It's not Amazon or Netflix, uh, it's batchable cloud computing. What is batchable cloud computing? Basically, it's it's computing where most of the work is done on the server, not on the connection to the cloud. So Netflix streaming, most of the work and the value is done streaming the video into the cloud, which means you need like super fast internet speeds. When most of your work is done on the server, the internet speed is less of a problem uh, because you just need really high processing power, GPUs, for example. Um, and what's the application there? Like one is AI machine learning or graphic rendering very heavy computing. Uh, another one is proof of work cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, where it's calculation based, all of the work is done on the server and the data packages are really small. Um, those are kind of probably the, the main applications initially. Uh, and then we we also see obviously as, as a, it's not really the technology, but there's a carbon credit element as well to this because we're offsetting methane. Uh, but the main element is AI machine learning, graphic rendering and Bitcoin mining. Mm -hmm. One thing really quickly to, there's a couple of things I want to talk about is one, you mentioned that this is in particular, your solution is for remote, remote situations, right? Where there, you can't necessarily connect to the grid. Are there a lot of these out there? And, and, and are these the ones that are just kind of like completely left to, you know, nobody's doing anything about them? Depends on the country, but in Spain, there's a lot of sites that don't do anything with that they're just flaring it like on oil and gas sites mm -hmm. um, so okay. they're not doing anything with it uh, in the u.s obviously widespread country a lot of landfills are super far away from the grid mm -hmm. um, the same if you do anaerobic digestion on a farm you normally are not the closest to the grid and even if you are close to a grid the interconnection costs you money the grid often has a limitation of how much electricity it can get into so some of the landfills we're talking with they could produce a lot more electricity but the grid connection is limited to, let's say, I mean, just a number, like 100 kilowatts, but they could produce 500. So they're flaring the equivalent of 400 and just feeding into the grid whatever they can. So that's mm. kind of a curtailment issue, which we can also fix. Then it's not necessarily the most re remote location. And oil and gas flaring is done on super remote locations. Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode. If you made it this far, it's likely that you're enjoying the show. So I wanted to ask your help. If you're enjoying it, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts and share with somebody in the same industry who might find this interesting. And if you're interested in getting summaries of these episodes, go subscribe to our newsletter that comes out on LinkedIn and Substack. Links can be found in the description. Thanks for your help in growing the reach of this show. Mm -hmm. um, Got it. Okay. The, the the second thing I wanted to, to just touch on really quickly is this idea. A, a lot of people 
uh, are not a fan of bringing crypto at all into this kind of in the sustainability picture. Could you maybe just talk about, you know, why do people have this this opposition to it? And, and what is your take on it? Yeah, it's a very polarized space. Huh? Um, I think the world is generally more polarized nowadays than it was. But Bitcoin, let's as an example, and climate is not always the most friendly relationship. Uh, it's very polarized, especially on the climate side. Um, and it's interesting. I find, I mean, that was one of the reasons why I found it interesting because whenever there's a polarized topic or there's some version of dogmatism involved, I, I believe that the truth that you read is probably not the truth in reality. So yeah, a lot of people that we've talked to, I've talked to in the climate space when they hear Bitcoin, it's like, oh, we don't like it. And and one element is not believing in, in the story behind Bitcoin or believing it's a very volatile asset, which is totally valid. It's a volatile asset as an income stream. But the, then the other assumption being like, oh, it uses a lot of energy is very subjective. Uh, yeah, sure. If the energy is a coal power plant, it's maybe not a great use, but it always depends on what energy you use. And and I think there's a little bit of that thinking of idealism that any use of energy we have has great use cases for humanity, which is not always the case. I'm just thinking about Christmas lightning when a whole house is glowing in the night. <laughs> Christmas lights. Yeah, the question of Humanity is a value out of that is, is maybe also very subjective. But so I agree with the idea that we shouldn't use dirty fuels and dirty energy like coal for things like this. I believe there is a value behind Bitcoin outside of that, but that's a different conversation. But if you use energy that is being wasted and actually a problem for the climate, and you have an off-taker in the in the shape of let's let's say Bitcoin mining. You can actually use it as it is. It's a tool. And tools are only as good or as bad in the way that you use them. And if you use them in a way where you can monetize assets and energy that is being wasted until today, because that type of offtake hasn't existed before, then you look at a very interesting space. And then the argument that is currently out there doesn't really help hold true anymore. And there's a lot of areas where you can play around with that, like there's also people that look at Bitcoin mining, for example, with renewable energy, because you you can maybe oversize your renewable energy assets and get a stable offtake for any access. So you remove volatility out of the grid uh, instead of just doing it with batteries, which is super expensive, and only have a certain time frame. I mean, a few hours of grid consumption at the best. So I, I, I would say whenever there's dogmatic, dogmatic thinking, take a step back and see where that mm -hmm. dogmatism might be broken. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. I mean, it's in particular, you mentioned it being a tool, right? If, if you can take it and use it as a way to, to monetize something that previously there was no incentive to really do so. I mean, why not? Right. That's definitely we're, we're achieving a goal of kind of reducing the, the emissions there and it's funded by, you know, in part this thing. And I think that these creative financing models are really, really, vital in order to continue to grow different kind of innovation in the climate tech space. Um, let's go into, I don't want to get too far into that. I want to go into the the kind of the process of how you got started. So once you came up with this idea, can you walk us through how, how you validated it? What were the steps that you took to kind of decide, you know, what, I'm going to go forward with this because this is not, you know, you're not just spinning up a software um, and, you know, kind of selling it to the world. How does that work? Yeah, well, and initially version one of our idea was actually focused on a very different segment, which was Africa and renewable energy in Africa, and using this as a tool to monetize big energy projects. Um, that we validated by having a lot of customer conversations and then financial modeling and realizing this doesn't make sense, partially because you don't have enough uptime for your assets, like you're running them maybe one third of the day, or if you're happy, if, if you're lucky, half of the day. So then we pivoted and met a few people along the way and we realized, yeah, methane is actually an interesting way of looking at this and partially because it solves the problem we've had in version one, which is an uptime problem. With methane, you don't have that. You can run everything 80 to 90% of the time. So that was the initial thinking. And then it was really uh, the same story again, slightly slower because the industry is a bit, I wouldn't say more, yeah, 
a mix between more guarded and just slow in in itself um, from the landfill industry in, uh, is um, what I'm what I'm talking about. So we talked to customers in UK, in Spain, like waste management companies, landfill gas consultants. Um, just also validating. We know that this is a problem in the US. There's companies that do this in the US or try to do this. Is it a problem in Europe? And we realized it is. It's a slightly different problem, but it's definitely there. And people got interested um, for different reasons. Um, and and that was for us the validation that we're still working on it at, at, while we're talking here at the same time. We're still talking to landfill companies trying to get our first project. But that was the validation that we needed because we know the financial side makes sense as long as we have enough uptime. And we know we're using a waste product. So the energy source is also really cheap versus what we looked at before. So we've identified a few problems before and all of these problems are kind of checked off in the new iteration. Now it's just making sure that we actually get over the finish line with one of the customers that we're talking with. Mm. And so, so when you're trying to get a pilot like this, what, what are they typically looking for? What, what is the standard objections? And then you maybe pull some other data together. Like, what does it really take to get one of these things on the ground? And then you can go prove it. I mean, like you said, it's not software, right? So there's a hardware element. One is like proving that you can build it, um, which we have put the team together, a mix of us in, in the company and, and external advisors and subcontractors to ensure that we can actually deliver um, the project in, in its entirety. Um, that's really the main piece. And then obviously they want to know how much money they can make out of it. I mean, the one advantage that we're having for our first project, we're probably going to finance the majority of it ourselves. Uh, I mean, ourselves with investors that we have lined up that want to finance it, right? So that removes a big question that normally comes up quite quickly because then there's hardly a risk for them. Um, at least a very low risk. And and then the idea is to prove this with one customer. We have one customer in Spain with over 100 landfill sites, prove it on one, show them that there is that this works, uh, that they can make revenue out of it, that they can cut their costs and then scale it with them afterwards. But the main thing is like deliverability and making sure that it, we can put it on the ground. Got it. Okay. That's interesting to hear. I mean, I I can imagine these are usually pretty large companies that 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 aren't just going to be like, oh yeah, we'll give it a shot. You know, they have a lot of due diligence they have to do and 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 make yeah. sure that it's there. Um, I guess just from like a for for yourself, like a mental perspective, like obviously you're not going to execute everything yourself. There's going to be some contractors involved with some of the execution. Like, how do you in your mind say, hey, you know, like there's there's some risk here, of course. Like, how do you? kind of mentally deal with the fact that there are some risks personally and how it could go how it could go wrong or go well how do you deal with that and as you're kind of building something new and going towards this vision of something that doesn't really exist yeah i mean i think one thing is having advisors that that have experience like we have on on our advisory board um one person that has a really solid background on the data center side and another person that has a 40 year um, background on the landfill gas to electricity side. I think he was part of the first landfill gas electricity project in the UK when they started 40 years ago. Uh, because obviously we we want to make sure that what we're looking at makes sense before we go down the actual construction route. Uh, and through these people, you get in touch with companies and, and contractors that you can trust more or less. I mean, I trust our advisory board in that. Um, I think the mindset of an entrepreneur often is take risks and you'll figure it out along the way. <laughs> so part of it is 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 really um, also just being being open to take the risks and not overthink it, but have the people there that can enable us to deliver the best quality we can do. We're working with contractors that have done this for decades, um, and and this same on the data center side. So I, I actually have, I mean, obviously operating and, and installing stuff will always have its hurdles and it might take longer than we think. So those are the bigger risks. But the thing is like what we're doing to a huge extent is business model innovation more than deep tech or kind of newer energy technology. So there's less of, an, uh, there's less of a technology risk. So I'm not that worried about the technology itself. Um, it's more an execution piece. And I think for the execution, we have to write people in the co-founding team and in the advisory board. 
Yeah, you know, one thing just really quickly to touch on would be how when you you mentioned you have these advisors, people who are really well versed in the different areas. So it's again, it's kind of like a more of a commodity. You're just kind of pairing together some existing industries. When you went to find these people, you know, we don't have to talk about how you found them so much as how did you convince them to, to work with you? Is it difficult to, co- to convince some of these people to be like, hey, you know, we're trying to do something totally new in, in the space that you're familiar with? Would you be part of us? Like, do you, how do you convince them to be part of that? Um, we didn't have to do a lot of convincing, actually. Um, and I think it's a bit serendipity because the, the landfill gas person we're working with, he, he has identified the problem that we're trying to solve decades ago. He's like, oh, yeah, I've looked for a solution to this problem. We have never really found anything. So when we come along, he's like, this is interesting. Um, then the data center guy has had the idea to work on a similar kind of focus before. Like he finds the, f- the focus with methane that is quite interesting. Um, so it's kind of like just finding the right people and them already understanding a good chunk of what you're trying to do and them getting excited about it um, themselves without us needing to convince them a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So basically just finding the people who ha- happen to have already been thinking about this problem. So to them, it's not, you're, you're not trying to convince them to change something because they've been in an industry for a long time. They're actually thinking actively about this problem. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, finding those people probably maybe you, I don't know if you found them quickly or if it took a long time, but you, you gotta, you gotta get the right people. So be patient, I suppose. Right. Um, yeah. Are you just one last question on the model here? Are you planning to, in the long term, to fund all of these projects yourself? Like are, are, are the project owners going to be taking the benefits from it, from it? Are you going to split the, the revenue from uh, you know, what you, what you can achieve from, from the, from the data versus the the carbon offsets like how is this going to look yeah so i think we see like a split in three phases the first phase is us doing uh, most of it so financing and and installing operating obviously with a certain level of subcontractors uh to to get experience ourselves in this segment and and to see what works what doesn't work or what needs improvement um that's going to be probably relatively short uh, and in that period we are probably going to develop some software and hardware that enables this interconnection between the, the gas electricity and the data center piece better. Then the idea is that we become probably more of a financing body where we pull projects together, finance them through like basically SPV finance project, um, special purpose vehicles, um, and then get also again subcontractors to install most of this and then just operate, oper- operate it for the the side owners. And then the, the the last phase is, and that's a big question mark still, it's, it's more like a vision than anything. It's like, okay, if we see that this is taking off, there's other companies coming in, they want to do what we're doing, which would be great because again, it's a lot of energy that needs to be converted. Maybe we can become more like an enabler for these companies than doing it ourselves. And that means then licensing other software, hardware, giving them a know-how platform to enable this, the execution of these projects in a faster way that includes like regulatory knowledge, um, like just pulling it all together. That's probably the last final phase. Um, also looking at the size of the problem, I don't think we're gonna do all of it. So if we wanna scale method abatement, that's gonna be the most relevant version. In terms of what's in it for the site owners, um they basically on the one side depending on the side but let's assume for one second um that they're flaring methane already and they're off the grid they are using or they're spending money each year to run that flare with a diesel generator so on the one side you're cutting that cost to nearly zero um, and that can be quite substantial um and then they get a revenue share from the operation or a ppa so either they get paid for the gas um what we use in a, in a ppa but for gas i mean basically taking the solar ppa model and putting it on land, landfill gas or they say hey we we want to get a revenue or profit share and then we share with them a certain percentage of the profit that is being done on the data center side that then also depends on a little bit how much money they invest into the infrastructure versus other investors mm-hmm. Be- because you're doing this way do you anticipate there being a pretty good um path to to using private equity rather than venture venture capital to get these projects to do kind of project financing 
Yeah, we had this very inter interesting intersection between kind of project finance, infrastructure finance, and venture capital. But there's for sure play for private equity and, and project finance here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah, I want to I wanna talk a little bit about AI. So this is something I'm really not super well versed on, but I'd be keen to just understand from your perspective, you know, how is AI playing a role in, in what you guys do in the grid, anything, just kind of let's, let's open up the discussion. Sure. And I'm just going to note that I might not be the best first person on AI either myself, but what we are doing, I think there's two elements where we're going to touch on it. Um, one is we're basically running a microgrid that needs to be managed and that needs a certain level of intelligence. I don't want to say it's going to be AI because a lot of buzzwords, but probably algorithm-based because you, you need to prioritize certain things in that microgrid if you have production that fluctuates, like it is the case with landfill gas, for example. So you need to shut, uh, turn on and off your your custom or like your data center, certain parts and pieces. You might have a small battery that charges when there is too much gas coming out and you're overproducing electricity. So that needs a little bit of intelligence to prioritize. And you could even do that on a grid connected site to basically say, hey, with this tool set of the grid, the battery, the data center to monetize our electricity, which one at this hour of the day makes most sense economically and then you turn on and off bits and pieces. Um, in the data center itself, we're going to obviously touch AI because we, we might run AI algorithms or computers um, that, that do the calculations or the, the modeling, the machine learning stuff. Um, but that will be, I mean, we won't touch the AI itself. We're just going to host the servers for companies that do this. So not going to be super involved, but obviously there will be more and more AI um, touching our energy infrastructure the more complex it becomes. I mean, if you look at an equivalent being, for example, the stock market, I mean, the more complex the stock markets become, the more AI came in. And now it seems like it's bots trading against bots sometimes. And and with, with more and more um, energy sources that are intermittent, it becomes more and more challenging to balance the consumption with the production. So at some point you want to automate as much as possible because, yeah, we're not we cannot think on on quick seconds sometimes and a lot of this is already being done right so so there will for sure be an element for the grid how that's going to look like and how exactly that's going to work i don't think i'm i'm in a place to dive into it's more like brainstorming than anything if that would if we want to go there mm -hmm. do you have any any particular thoughts or concerns about I, I, a lot of people talk about the risks of ai especially recently and uh, usually a prime example is AI touching the grid. Like, is that okay? Because it's very difficult. Like, obviously the grid is extremely complicated and we could, you really use it, but at the same time, like it can, it's a very critical infrastructure, right? And if there's something that kind of goes malicious, any, do you have any, any particular thoughts on that? I mean, to the extent I've, I've thought about this is a thing we, we're talking a lot about AI and general, uh, intelligence we haven't really reached that yet most of the intelligence that we have is very niche uh, i mean it can write nice paragraphs or it can make nice pictures right or it can try to drive a car which is already quite complex for it uh, and hopefully it doesn't make an accident uh, we've been talking about getting there for many years especially people like Elon Musk have um, i mean obviously we shouldn't hand over full responsibility to a tool like this but i think we can use it as a tool to humanity, I think there was this, I don't know if it was a book or podcast or video, I don't remember, where we believe that robots will take over the world. But I think what will happen is humans will continue working, but being supported by robots, and in this case, AI. So if you can make certain decision-making faster with AI, um, and then still have the humans involved, I think that's probably going to be the better outcome. Um, mm -hmm. out of the three like humans only ai only ai and humans together mm -hmm. yeah that I makes mean, a good point i think it's something for me you know spending a lot of time just doing my job and everything in the in the in the daytime it tends to be i feel a bit of uh of fomo from everybody kind of playing around with these new tools and figuring out how they work um i it is interesting to see how massively impactful it can be to to building something to building a business or just making your output as an individual significantly greater it's like a very very new learning curve on that topic 
are there any ways particularly that you utilize AI to help kind of make a bigger, um, you know, maximize the effort that you put in? Like, is there anything that in this climate, building a hardware climate tech startup that you, that you use it for? Well, we, we, we're doing what a lot of people are doing this day, like writing stuff at GPT instead of writing it yourself. I guess mm -hmm. this is as far as we go with AI currently. Once we're building a software, which we're not doing yet, we want to do the first project before we even dive into building the software product, we might touch it a bit more. But no, I mean, in the product itself, we're not really dealing with AI as of now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm just kind of curious because I know that it's usually in, in, in the form of if you've got some really good engineers, maybe two or three people, they can, if they're really good at prompting and everything, they can build a software pretty easily, right? And mm -hmm. run a company pretty easily, right? They can, they can get customer service. Like uh, what used to be maybe a 50 person company can maybe be five or 10, right? Um, because of the impact. So it, I think it has an interesting aspect on that side of, of how it interplays with, um, with venture capital, maybe they won't need as much money to, to build businesses going forward. I'm, I'm just kind of curious to see how is that going to apply to more hardware related things because mm. climate has a lot of hardware, right? It just, it, it really does. So um, I think it's a fascinating thing to think about, but I should maybe read some books on it because <laughs> I'm very, very uneducated in that space. Um, I mean, I mean, it depends on what kind of hardware you're doing, right? If you are doing things that, that need a certain level of R&D, there's for sure a play uh, for AI to take a role in it, right? I mean, just modeling, I remember, um, it's a bit, old, bit not connected, but like this new model for propellers for drones that are super silent. And that was kind of partially done with AI because it goes through a lot of iterations of what kind of designs make the least air circulation which basically then creates the noise of the drones so there's definitely applications here what we're doing is really to a huge extent a business model innovation and there yeah, i haven't seen ChatGPT being super smart yet to tell us exactly how <laughs> we should operate yeah we'll see open for it i think it's going to be more on the software piece for us once we get to that stage yeah now. yeah cool and, and then i guess just so so far in building the business what what would you say has been the the biggest challenge so far so far, the biggest challenge um, from what we can control ourselves has been getting into the landfill industry. Because it's, it's been a lot of uh, hitting the head with uh, the wall with the head, uh, hitting the head on the wall. Um, it's a bit of an incumbent industry. They, they want to do waste and that's it. Um, we have a few really good leads now. Um, but it's definitely been not the easiest industry to get into compared to other endeavors I've done before. And then the other one is, which is, I mean, partially in our hands, but maybe more the, the market sentiment right now is raising funding in this current market. Um, is it definitely more challenging than it was in my first startup. I don't want to say it's super hard or super impossible because I don't think it is, but it's definitely harder than when I did it the last time. With uh, one thing I've been always curious about is with stuff like this, uh, there's obviously some costs that go into running the company now, but I would, I would assume, and maybe you can talk a little bit about this, that it's largely just like, can, you know, having enough money to pay the people who are working there currently, and then finding these things, pulling the projects together, and then eventually you'll get a project ready, and then you'll go and get project financing for that, right? So like, are the costs from a venture capital perspective mostly just paying the, the individuals so, so that you can kind of, you know, live your life and continue going on and finding, finding these projects? I mean, that's always the biggest expenditure with most startups, right? Um, especially, uh, I mean, especially in the software space, but also for us. I mean, we, we're going to finance the first few installations partially ourselves, probably. So there is a bit of that element that we're going to invest part of the equity that we're raising into capex um but yeah most of the money goes into the team as, as with every, every startup that's that's at least mostly the biggest expenditure we are currently putting in our um sweat equity so we we, we don't have that problem yet but it's it has a deadline as well at some point huh? yeah yeah you can't work for you you have to you know you still have to pay the bills eventually right um yeah. very cool and, and then i guess maybe wrapping up here a bit, what, what do you, 
most excited for about the future of this industry and this technology? I mean, you've, you've built another company in the past and the space is a little bit different as well. So like, what are you, what are you looking forward to? I mean, I want us to be able to say like seven, 10 years from now that we have tackled the majority of our concentrated methane gas emissions and actually turned them into something useful and also basically taken the methane out of the atmosphere because that will move us a big step towards our one and a half, two degree targets and without it, we can achieve them. So just being able to have said that we've been enabling more of this um, and also other people having jumped on this and seeing the, the interest in it and it, it's happening now. I think it's funny enough, uh, methane is currently becoming a thing that people look more at more like due to it being highlighted in the IPCC reports and more and more startups are targeting methane abatement in different versions. I think in seven, 10 years, we will see a very different clean tech vertical that only focuses on methane and hopefully that vertical will be part of it. And we'll, we can say that together with everybody else, we've tackled a good maturity of the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that is exciting to think. I mean, it is very impactful, especially when you think you said it was 80% more um it has more 80 percent more negative impact on the environment than carbon emissions correct yeah i mean if you want to put it in different numbers i worked in the solar industry before and and we compared uh, methane abatement with a solar installation in the us with like one of the dirtiest grid mixes we can think of uh and and just see the comparison and with the dirtiest grid being replaced by solar we are still up at least 10 times more impactful from the CO2 offsetting perspective per kilowatt of project size and, and the same per dollar invested. So, so that's been quite interesting for me to see because I've always seen solar as one of the holy grails and it's one of the bullets. This is not a holy grail either. We need to do everything, but it's definitely very impactful. And it's mainly because of what you mentioned, the potency of the methane on a 20 year time span. Mm -hmm. well, what one thing I I just thought of to ask you that I think could be interesting because this is not your first climate tech company is you know you're obviously somebody who comes up with ideas and and then actions on them to to build companies as you're doing this you know I'm assuming you're thinking about other problems or you're noticing other problems two parts of this question one how do you deal with this like oh there's this other really cool problem maybe I should go work on that how do you deal with that process. But also, what are some of those problems that maybe other people are thinking about? And it'd be kind of fun to put them out into the world to see if other people want to work on them. Yeah, um, I mean, I believe in focus. Uh, so I try not to do more than one idea at the same time. I have a few friends that have the same problem, like you mentioned. Oh, I have so many ideas. What do I do? I like start with one and see where it goes. So I think we, we tend to overthink things. And I, I, I do that myself, but I think there is a beauty in action and seeing where things actually go. So that's kind of, I mean, if there's interesting things popping up, yeah, that's cool, but somebody else might do them. Um, I don't believe in being the CEO of five companies. Um, <laughs> so so that, that's one. No, that's you're one not going to be the next Elon Musk. <laughs> no, I also want to have a life. And we mentioned this before we started, but being in Europe, we have we value our life quality as well outside of work. So I love working and, and don't get me wrong, but I also value my friendships and, and kind of other things in my life. So I don't see myself working and sleeping on the industry floor. Um, that's not <laughs> my, my idea of, of being an entrepreneur. But anyway, um, I mean, I've, I've, I've explored three startup ideas in the last year and a half, um, but they were all faced. So it's kind of like how we are saying we are monogamous now, but it's actually serial monogamy, like one person at a time, but maybe several times, several mm -hmm. people in your lifetime. So I started looking at sharing economy. We all have a lot of stuff. Why can we not use the stuff that we have and instead of buying stuff, rent it? Um, that was the first idea that I explored when, once I left my previous startup. Uh, and then we explored the Africa sector of, where there's a lot of need for energy, like there's a lot of energy poverty and kind of seeing like, okay, well, what has been done so far? I've been working in an industry for a while. There needs to be a better way of doing it. Um, and that was kind of the iteration one of this idea. Then we pivoted, um, which was like use data centers as a main offtake, install a huge solar installation in the middle of Africa, 
a megawatt, use 900 kilowatts for data center, and then use 100 kilowatts for the village um, to, to electrify them and increase the, or improve the project economics of that installation by having a kind of industrial offtake, which doesn't exist in Africa, mostly. That didn't make sense because solar obviously only works when the sun is shining and batteries are expensive still, especially in, in off-grid locations. But there's a company in Kenya that does this now, which is called um, Gridless Power, but they do it with hydro, and hydro makes a lot more sense because it's a base load. Um, and they got money from uh, Block and amongst other investors, so it's definitely popping up. And now it's methane. I mean, there's a lot of ideas around methane, uh, how to abate it on different sites, and I don't think we're going to be the only solution, but turning it into things, I mean, I think there will be a lot of ideas popping up. I don't have another one yet there, but those were the things that I've explored. Uh, and then once I'm once I'm on onto one idea, it's very hard to get me off it. So I'm not really brainstorming a lot these days until yeah. we decide that we need to pivot um, or that something else happens. Yeah, I think it's a, it's very respectable. I mean, I'm somebody who has struggles massively to stay on track with one thing for a very long time. Uh, and usually when I come up with some idea, I immediately reach out without really doing any due diligence. I just reach out to some people and, and chat about, hey, you know, what do you think about this? Or how can we do that? Blah, blah, blah. And then sometimes I, I'm so active about it and I'm on to the next idea that by the time I actually have that meeting with somebody, I kind of forgot <laughs> what the whole whole purpose of it was, all right, what the nuances were. But no, it's very respectable to be able to stay focused. I think it's something that's important. Uh, I just always am curious to hear because I think as you're solving new problems, you're also noticing, hey, what's going to be the problem beyond this, right? There's They're going to solve this thing, but then there's going to be this next wall we're going to run into. And I think that there's going to be a lot of those in the in the world as we continue to you know come up with these really cool solutions that in reality like there's so much change happening it's very uncomfortable for many people and especially for a lot of corporations like if you, you mentioned the idea of why don't we just share the things we have of course no you know corporations don't want to that that sell sell products they don't want to sell less products sell fewer products so um there's so many things that are going to change and I, i'm just generally i'm an optimistic person i'm very excited for the future but um yeah so i guess fi final thing would be you know what is your ask to the to the audience any any final thoughts i mean if there's anybody in the audience that is listening to this and finds it interesting there's probably two asks that are quite relevant for us today uh, maybe three asks um one is if you work in any industry related to what we discussed so landfill oil and gas anaerobic digesters or other concentrated methane emissions and you you want to explore this together shoot me a message or an email um, at andreas at powerblocks.co if you are an investor that invests in early stage startups you're raising a pre-seed of half a million um, same shoot me an email and, and we'll have a conversation we we're looking at closing closing our pre-seed before everybody goes on summer holidays so around june time and if you find this interesting for any other reason that I cannot think of yet, please do the same. Send me an email and, and I'm happy to have a conversation. Yeah, certainly. I think it's always good for people to chat. I mean, this is why I'm a big fan of, of just building out in public and putting things out in, into the ether because you never know when somebody somebody can really be helpful to you or you can be helpful to them in some way. So th thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate this. It's been, it's been great. Thanks, Silas. I appreciate it as well. All right. Have a great day. You too. Cheers.